Hello. This sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So, if you are not a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We are glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of his glory to you. Hey, it's good to be with you all again this morning. My name is Vince. I am one of the elders here, uh, pastor over preaching and vision. So if we haven't met, I was telling someone earlier, I know about 30 people in here. So there are a lot of new faces, which is beautiful to see. Let me just by, uh, begin um, by saying this uh, will likely be challenging for me. thought I'd make it through more than seven words, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I trust you'll give me patience, um, grace, and uh, I told Justin just to be ready to, to uh, play some more songs and we'll sing, sing to Jesus. So um, I'm not, uh, what I've learned over the last several weeks, and I'll, t- I'll tell you what I'm getting at um, here in a second, I, I've learned that I'm not a good public crier. There's some who cry and you're like, man, they, they could win awards with that. I'm not. It's just ugly and I'm heaving and all that sort of stuff. So here we go. Um, let me fill you in a bit on what has gone on in our lives. Many of you know um, what's happened. Um, th- this past year has been really challenging for, for, <clears throat> for me as a pastor. And so um, uh, back several months ago, I asked our elders if I could take some time away in June. Um, they graciously gave that to me and my family, and we spent a lot of good time together in, the, in those early days of June, just being together here in Fort Collins. We took some time to camp with some good friends. Um, we uh, spent some time up in Beaver Creek um, with our, our X-29 brothers and sisters and friends. I got to take our boys to uh, meet a lot of those crazy people, and they were warmly welcomed in. And then from there, um, we went straight to California and spent um, a week about five blocks from the beach, and it was amazing as a family. We have five boys, if you don't know that, so um, for the seven of us to be together in a house and be that close to the beach and just be, um, uh, have some time together was, was amazing. So I'm really thankful that the elders gave me that space in, in um, July to do that, to step away in July. Um, we came back from that, and uh, our two oldest boys went to a soccer camp in Virginia, And um, uh, Ezra, our oldest son, had been uh, not feeling well for a few weeks, feeling fatigued, feeling um, uh, just a low-grade fever kind of all the time, coughing quite a bit. And um, went went to the camp anyway, thought he could could power through, and he did. Um, For the most part, the last day of the camp, he was in bed for for most of the day. And so when he came back, uh, I picked him up at the airport. We went straight to the ER, and... um, um, right across the street here, um, spent some time at the ER. When he walked in, he had a fever of 103.4. He'd walked in and feeling fine, you know, feeling okay, just feeling kind of crummy. 103.4 fever, um, resting heart rate at like 120. Um, and, and we just, we, we were there for hours. And um, um, uh, found out after the fact that uh, his red blood count, well, that's why I brought this thing. That's how bad it's going to get, right there. Um, 
Uh, his red blood count, his white blood count were so low, um, we found out later from a nurse that, that he shouldn't have been alive. And he walked into the ER um, like that. He was rushed by an ambulance to Children's Hospital. I sat in the ambulance and have never been so terrified in all my life, not because of my son's health, but because I was in the front seat of an ambulance flying down 25 through that narrow pass right before Sintera. Um, I thought I was, uh, I just had my eyes closed most of the time. Anyway, we got, um, got there, and um, it was there that we heard uh, for the first time the word leukemia, and um, um, that was 17 extremely long days ago. Um, and, and since then, he's been diagnosed with I mean, we're learning a lot. Uh, acute myeloid leukemia, AML. Uh, and um, his world's been turned upside down. Uh, we've joined him in that. Um, this was his senior year of high school. Um, really excited about soccer. They're ranked second in the state as they head into a new, new year. He was... Um, voted uh, school captain or student body president this year. So just had a lot moving um, for him this year. And, and there have been so many losses as we've thought about it, wrestled with it, and, and walked through that with him. So what we know um, this far is this, and many of you have caught, caught up with this. I just thought I'd, I'd catch, catch you up if you, if you haven't um, been a part of this or known this. Um, Ezra uh, will be probably in the hospital for the next six months. Um, he finishes his first round of chemo, 10 days of chemo, night and day, uh, tomorrow morning. And um, uh, we just got word on, on Thursday of this past week that the, the cancer looks like it's, it's in a place where um, a bone marrow transplant may be necessary. Um, we'll find out more tomorrow. Uh, every, every time the door opens to our room, we're like, ah, oh, what's it going to be? Um, and often it's nothing. <laughs> often it's some nurse checking vitals and, and asking if we need anything. If you're a nurse, by the way, my, my view of you has skyrocketed. The way that they care for people in, in those situations is unbelievable. So um, hats off. Hats off to you all. Um, there may be some days here and there where, where he'll be able to come home if his blood count is high enough, um, uh, just really in time to recover and go back for another round. And so there have been moments where the peace of God has overwhelmed us. Um, but there have also been moments where we've been completely devastated. Uh, scared. Frustrated. And at times, just angry. Um, but I'll say this. Um, we, we do believe in the goodness of God. We do. Uh, we don't know what that looks like or how that's defined really right now, but we, we, we absolutely believe in the goodness of God, and we, we can't understand it um, and don't know where it's going, but we're leaning on him desperately. So here's what I want to say to you all, um, and then we'll get into the psalm. Um, 
I should probably use this instead of my hand, huh? Um, this is probably a, a, a better thing to do here. Um, uh, our church family, you all have, um, have been an amazing gift to us. Uh, the way that you've supported us, um, notes of encouragement, messages, text messages, um, uh, the ways that you've just poured out to us have been amazing, uh, overwhelming at times. It makes coming off of a hard season into something like this just beautiful to see for us. We're extremely thankful. Um, uh, the meals that have been taken to our house um, have been greatly appreciated. Some uh, meals by people, I don't know, like I have to look up and see who they are. Um, people have helped with um, transporting our boys um, from this event to that event, which has helped them just have some, uh, some sense of normalcy. We're really thankful for that. Um, those who have helped out around the house with just projects around the house. Uh, this lifted a burden from me, so it's not hanging over me. It's been extremely helpful. Um, those who have spent time with our boys have, have been really helpful. Um, the night that Ezra was r- rushed to uh, Children's Hospital, the elders, all the elders went to our house um, and sat with our boys and watched the Olympics, which just uh, I heard from a couple of our boys that it was just helpful to have some distraction. And listen, our elders are not cool. But, um, <laughs> but our boys really enjoyed being with them, right? And just having that, that normalcy. So I'm extremely thankful for them. Um, Justin and Carrie Nevins have been a, an extreme blessing to us in so many ways. Um, Josh has been a friend to our boys. My parents have helped out um, just selflessly. Uh, so many have helped out financially. I don't, I don't know where that's going to end up, how that's going to go. I have no clue at this point, but you all have been an extreme blessing to us. It is the church family. That's what we've been pushing for for 11 years. I told Ross um, this is several months ago when he's going through cancer stuff. I said, hey, one day this God's going to use this in you to minister to someone else, to care for someone else. Never would I have thought, yep, and Ross, you're going to be caring for me and for Ezra. And, um, it's just been huge, so, so thank you. Thank you. Um, Josh and Eric came down and uh, took a walk with me a couple weeks ago uh, down in Denver, and um, I, I told them if I, if I was able, um, and clearly I'm not, um, that I would like to preach um, at, at some point soon. And so uh, we've been um, working through the Psalms this summer, and um, we're up to Psalm 63. So transition, wipe the tears away. Um, here we go. Grab your Bible and turn to Psalm 63. Uh, we are going to look at the Word of God this morning and see God's goodness and God's love and His faithfulness to us. We've been walking through the Psalms. If you're new or newer with us, this is what we do as a church. We pick a book of the Bible. We work through it from beginning to end. We take the summers to look at the Psalms um, and, and just see more of God and, and what He has for us. If you're able this morning, um, I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the entire Psalm. Together, I'll read it. You can follow along in your, in your Bible. 
Psalm 63 says this, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your love, your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult. For the mouths of liars will be stopped. This is God's word. Yeah. Amen. Have a seat. Now, what I don't want is for our current situation uh, to manipulate our time together this morning. However, I have no idea how to walk through this and not um, uh, use sort of the filter of what we're going through to, to, to see it through my lens. That's my lens. So I don't know what you're, what you're going through, but let me just ask this. If you can take a moment um, and think about this. What are you going through right now? Joy or sorrow? What is it that you're going through? Just think through what, what is it that God has put in your life right now that you are walking through? Joy or sorrow or everything in between? What is it that you are stepping through? What joy are you experiencing right now? If there's something that you're walking through right now that has you riding a high, what is that? Think about that. Is there something that you're looking forward to in the coming weeks and months? Can't wait for it to get here. You're riding that high. You're looking forward to it. What is that? What? Let's change gears. What sorrow are you facing? What heartbreak are you experiencing? What is it that you're walking through right now that, that God has placed there for you to be walking through it, and you are, by God's grace, hopefully walking through that well? As you think about your joys and your sorrows, let me just ask this together. All right? Let's just think about joy. As you think about your joy... How satisfying is that joy? Or if you can think about the, the sorrow that you're walking through, if that sorrow was removed instantly, would you still be satisfied? And how long would that satisfaction last? Or would it just sort of peter out over time? How long would it take for you to desire satisfaction again in some other way? Something that you could grab onto and say, yep, there it is, Finally. I would just come out and say it um, this way. In times of trouble and in times of joy, there is nothing that ultimately satisfies like the presence, provision, and providence of God. In times of sorrow and in times of joy and everything in between, there is nothing that satisfies you 
uh, like the provision, uh, the, the presence, the provision and providence uh, of God. So I don't know what you're walking through right now. Uh, but listen, your, your life situation can change quickly. This life is like shifting sand. And you don't know where it's going to go. And, and this life offers uh, fleeting satisfactions in so many ways. But, but that's all those things are. Fleeting satisfactions. They're fleeting. They're gone. We feel that deeply in this psalm of David that we just read. If you look at the, the title of the psalm, it says, A Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. This is probably in the, in the days where David was on the run from his own son, Absalom. You can read about it this week if you want, Second Samuel 13 through 17. Those chapters talk about how David's on the run from his own son, Absalom, who set up shop and said, Hey, I'm the king. Just appointed himself as king. And so David's on the run with his, with his men. They're running for their lives. They go and hide in the wilderness or in the desert. In the desert. And it's in those moments that they are desperate. And their desperation's right in front of them because they're in the desert. Have you ever been in the desert? Have you ever driven from here through out to California? If there's anything you need, you better get it now because it's not happening until you get to California and, and even further into California. They're in desperation and, and their desperation's right in front of them. They see it. They're thirsty. They're hungry. They're, they're longing for satisfaction physically, yeah, but, but also mentally and emotionally. And they're trying to figure out what's going to happen. We're on the run here. So where does David turn? He, 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 where does he turn? He, he begins with a, a longing for the satisfying presence of God. Uh, the satisfying presence of God, and it's a personal address. It's a personal address to God. This isn't something where he's saying, hey, we. He's saying, no, I. Oh, God, you are my God. You're my God. He goes on, earnestly, I seek you. He starts with this, this active role. I, I'm seeking you. I'm earnestly seeking you. There's desperation. It's, it's often hard to talk about our desperation for God, isn't it? Often feels like it should be some love song, and we just don't, it feels weird, and we don't know what that looks like, and we, so we have hard, a hard time with that kind of language, but David shows us this desperation. He says, my, he uses pictures, all right, guys, men, so if you need pictures instead of just like, I love Jesus, here, here's what David says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Is it in a dry and weary land where there is no water? He's Where? He's in the desert, right? He's in the desert of Judah. He's fleeing his own son. He's been on the run for many days. He's hot. He's tired. He's thirsty. His, his body is wearing out and possibly feeling faint. He's in a dry place where there is no water. So he's just saying, hey, I'm feeling desperation in all kinds of ways. Here, just physically, this is what, what that looks like. You can feel it. Uh, several years ago, I, I read um, a book uh, about a hiker in the Canyonlands of Utah. It's a long story. Eventually, he loses his arm because he cuts it off, but that's a different part of the book. Um, it, what, what he is going through, he's in the wilderness, in the desert, for six days without any water. And after he frees himself of his, uh, of his um, problems, uh, he's looking for uh, water, and he finally sees this mud puddle, and he recalls the situation like this. I want to read this because it just puts, puts some imagery to this. He says, I immediately lunge for the mud-ringed puddle. 
I move out of the sun and into the cool shade, brusquely swing my pack off my shoulders and once again retrieve my Nalgene, my water bottle. I fill fill it in the puddle, scooping up leaves and dead insects along with the aromatic water. I'm so parched I can taste the elevated humidity around the pool and it piques my thirst. In the time it takes for me to bring the, the bottle's rim to my lips, I debate whether to sip it slowly or guzzle away and decide to sip and then guzzle. The first droplets meet my tongue, and somewhere in the heavens, a choir strikes up. The water is cool. I drink the entire liter in four chugging swallows, drowning myself in pleasure, and then reach to fill the bottle again. The second liter follows in the same manner, and I refill the bottle once more. I wonder if the water would taste as wonderfully sweet to a normally hydrated person. If the water really is this delicious, what makes it that way? I sit at the edge of the puddle, and for that moment, I am enjoying myself as though my thirst is all that really matters, and now it's taken care of, and I'm totally at ease. David says, that's my soul. My soul is dehydrated, and the only thing that can quench this soul thirst is the satisfying presence of God. The satisfying presence of God. So let me just ask you a question, friend. Do you have a void in your life somewhere where you're trying to fill with some satisfaction? Do you have a hunger or a thirst in your life right now where you wake up in the morning and the day ahead of you just feels overwhelming because all you want is that thing to be lifted or that satisfaction to be fulfilled? Or maybe you just wake up feeling blah. And you want a satisfaction, but you don't know what that is. And you're, you're moving towards something, but you, you just don't know which direction to go. And you just are going through the motions. You, you felt that kind of dehydration before. If I were to write this psalm, I was thinking about it this week. If I were to write this psalm right now, it might sound something like this. Oh God, earnestly, I want something different than this. Oh God, I, I want some kind of change in my situation. Oh God, I earnestly want something to make this day better. Oh God, my soul is thirsty and my flesh is fainting as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Would you change my situation? What I'm missing when I go in that direction is the satisfying presence of God that He's near. He draws near to me. What did David say? Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. He desires the nearness of God. Longs for it. Wants it. How how can David say that? Look at verse 2. He says, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory. The reason that David desires the Lord so earnestly is because he's experienced and known the power and glory of God. You see, in those days, the nearness of God was only known, was only experienced in the sanctuary of the temple. And so David's saying, I remember it. I long to be there. The same sanctuary he had left behind in Jerusalem when he'd fled to the desert. He says, I've been there. I've seen it. I've done it. David has experienced God in the house of God. He's seen the power and the glory and the love of the Lord. He's seen it, experienced it. That power, that glory, that love, this love that David says is better than life itself. Have you experienced that? You've felt that? You've walked in that? 
Now listen, uh, God's glory and power and love have been beautifully, for us, we, we see it beautifully displayed in Christ, right? Primarily displayed at the cross. And David hadn't yet experienced that. We have uh, reason to long for the nearness of the Lord to be near Him, to be in His presence. We, we no longer have to go to a sanctuary, do we? We no longer have to come to a, a gym that's been converted into this, right? We no longer have to be in a place. We no longer have to go in search of where God is. We can be in the desert. We can be in difficult challenging times. We can be in a hospital room. Seek the presence of the Lord. Experience the power and glory and love of God shown in His Son, Jesus. We're able to be near God to approach the throne of grace with confidence because of Christ. Let me just ask this. Are you drawing near? Are you drawing near to that? Are you seeking satisfaction in the presence of God? That the satisfying presence of God leads then to what? Leads to worship, doesn't it? David says, so my lips will praise you. I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name, I'll lift up my hands. The satisfying presence of God leads us to worship. Yes, even in the desert. But when the Lord is near, especially in the desert, worship is the response. We may need to hear this, so listen. The nearness of God may not lift the circumstantial burden, but it can produce true satisfaction even during that burden. I'm going to say that again for my own heart. The nearness of God may not lift the circumstantial burden, but it can produce true satisfaction even during that burden. But we've experienced that over these last days. Have you? Have you walked in that? Where's your appetite this morning? I think you probably know this just like I know this, but our souls, the very depths of who we are, will, will continually thirst and hunger until that soul thirst and that soul hunger are satisfied with the presence of God. So please hear this well. Maybe you're not in a desert place right now. Maybe you're not in the desert at all right now. That's not where you find yourself. You're not in a place of, of hardship, but you, you don't know um, what you're about to face. You just don't. I'm not saying that as a gloom, like, hey, watch your back. That's not what I'm saying, right? You, we don't know what we're walking into. So maybe that's not where you are right now, but you, you don't know what you're about to face. So let me just warn us, caution us, remind us. Do not wait until you're in the desert to be satisfied with the presence of God. Don't wait. When things get hard, then I'm going to lean on God more. Don't, don't wait. It's a practice that begins before the desert, so that in the desert you will endure. Who needs that challenge this morning? Who needs that? Is it, is it time to pick up your Bible and, and see God? Is it time to, to cry out to God in prayer? Now, I need your help, God. I can't do this. Do not wait until you're in the desert to be satisfied with the presence of God. When things get hard, I'll lean on God, but not right now. Things are fine. 
David continues with the satisfying provision of God. Verses 5 through 8, he starts with this example, a picture again of the satisfaction he finds in God. He says, I find that satisfaction, that kind, that comes when you're satisfied after a fatty, rich dinner, right? After a meal that's fatty and rich, that's the kind of satisfaction I'm after. After the provision of an amazing meal, my soul will be satisfied with God's provision in that day. And then he keeps on going with some, some pictures for us. He says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. Here's what he's saying. In those sleepless hours, we've all had them. In those sleepless moments, in those moments where I'm tossing and turning and replaying the day. Should I have said that? Should I not have said that? Maybe I should have done this. Maybe I could have acted differently here. I don't know what's going to happen. In those moments when my head hits the pillow and I'm thinking back on the day and trying to remember what I should have done or could have done or, or, or would like to do better tomorrow when I'm thinking through all of those things. Here's what David says. I remember you. I'm meditating on you. David is restless and sleepless through the night and he consciously puts his mind on recalling the works of God. He uses the word meditate. Listen, you don't accidentally meditate on something, Right? That's an intentional act that you're walking through. I've been spending the, the summer trying to memorize Scripture, starting in the beginning of a book and just trying to work my way through it. That just doesn't happen, right? It just didn't happen that those things showed up on note cards. No, I had to write them. You hate it when you're writing things out like that and you misspell a word and you're like, ah, you know, throw away and start over. That doesn't just happen. It's not an accidental thing to meditate on something. You intentionally do that. And that's what David is saying. In those watches of the night, in those moments where I'm tossing and turning, I'm intentionally meditating on God. What keeps you up at night? What is it that, that, that causes sleeplessness for you? Is it stress? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Uh, we can assume that that's the case for David. He's walking through some stressful situations, but, but what does he do with those sleepless hours? He meditates on the Lord. He intentionally sets his mind on the Lord. When you can't sleep at night, what is it that you do? When you wake up early in the morning, you're like, well, I might as well get up now. What is it that you run to? When you're anxious about an upcoming event or an interaction that you know you need to have, what do you do? When you're stressed about work or health or money, what do you do? Does your mind wander off? You try to fill it with all kinds of things to distract yourself. That's what a lot of us do, right? I got to distract myself from this so that I'm not thinking about these kinds of things anymore. What do you do when those things come up? Do you just binge a show? Do you scroll through social media? You open your Bible and see the truth of God. You drop to your knees and cry out to Him. Do you listen to music that's full of truth? That's, that's where we've gone over the last days. I sit down with my Bible and try to read it, and it's just words. I can't focus. I try to pray, and my prayers are on to something different. We, we've been thinking about it, meditating on songs and just listening to songs and the truth that washes over us. Where do you find satisfaction, and where do, does your heart and your mind go in those sleepless hours? David finds it in the provision of God. Look at verse 7. He says, for you have been my help. You have been my help. Now, why can David be satisfied in the provision of the Lord throughout the watches of the night? It's this simple. You have been my help. 
So he's intentionally setting his mind and meditating on God's provision. Can it be that profound and that simple? Why do we keep running back to the Lord? Why would we do that? Because he's been our help. If in your troubles you've experienced help and respite and rescue and relief, listen, that comes from God. If in your troubles you've experienced any kind of relief at all, respite, rest, that comes from God. David says, God, you've been my help. Do we hunger and thirst for God during those times of stress and anxiety because we know that he has provided help? When he's our help, do we respond in songs of joy? Does it cause our faith in him to cling more tightly? Or do we presume on the kindness of God, assuming he's going to just work some stuff out? I've done that. God, you've done this in the past. Just work this out. Or we get to this place where we think, well, I'm confident in my own abilities. This isn't something that's dire, right? I don't have to really lean on God because I know how to work this one out. We don't have um, time to, to get into all of these things this morning, but I could recount example after example after example from our last 17 days where God has been our help. There is no other explanation than that God has been our help. Again, just right across the street at the ER, I'll never, hopefully, I never will forget this moment when we first got word that something was um, really wrong. I cried out to God for peace. I just, God, give us peace. Just rest on us. Would you rest on this room in, in peace? I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what to do. God, would you rest on us in peace? And just moments after that, minutes after that, after some appropriate tears and after some inappropriate words, maybe appropriate words from Ezra, here's, here's what he said. He said, Dad, I'm at peace. I really am. That's God being our help. There's no other explanation for that. That's not Ezra mustering up some great peace because he's done this before. No, that's God being his help. And we've had many, many more moments like that as well. I'm sure you've got examples like that as well. But here's the unfortunate thing, at least for me. I could also recount the times when I've not turned to God where my thoughts are elsewhere, where, where I'm thinking, how can I fix this problem? How can, I, how can I change my circumstances? I'll tell you, every morning for the first four or five mornings when I woke up in the hospital, I was like, have you ever had this moment where you're like, this has got to be a dream? And I think every morning when I woke up, I was trying to get, that as a dream, like I was trying to go back to sleep. And, and, and what am I doing there? I'm trying to figure out how do I get out of this situation? How do I fix this? How do I move myself out of this? It's in those moments where my response is leaning more toward the idea that Vince has got this. He can do this. He can get out of this than on God being my help. And so here's what I want. And unfortunately, I'm not there all the way, but I want it. I want to be desperate for God when I'm not in the desert and, and when I am in the desert, I want to find satisfaction in the presence and provision of God. So I, I want to find that satisfaction when I'm not in the desert so that it's pre- preparing me for, for the times when I am in the desert. When I'm, uh, when I'm not walking through suffering, I want that to be there for God to be my, my sustaining hope and, and power so that when there is tragedy in my life, I'm able to say, God's sustaining me. 
He's done that in hard times. He's doing it even now. He's been my help. I'm intentionally counting out the ways that he's been present and I found protection and provision in God and my soul, the very depths of who I am, even in these good moments. They're clinging to God in these good moments. Wouldn't that change the way we we are? Wouldn't that change who we are as a people, as a church? If in the good moments of life, not just in the hard times, but in the good moments of life, our souls are clinging to God, I guarantee this, it would change the way we sing in this place. Sorry to, I'm going to throw that on. I think we've got a great God who we're singing to. And most of the time, this is how I stand. Right? We have a great God who we're singing out to, crying out to. Are we desperate to be near Him, to, to know His provision, to know His, uh, His presence in us? It would change the way we are if in, in those desert moments and in those moments where we're not in the desert, we're leaning on the, the, and depending on God. So that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for us in the desert or in the oasis that we're desperately dependent uh, on God's presence and provision. To enjoy the satisfying presence of God and to rest in the satisfying provision of God deep down, there has to be something else. And this is not what I want to, to, to talk through, but there has to be something else, and that is a, a satisfaction in the providence of God. For there to be a, a satisfaction in the presence of God and a satisfaction in the provision of God, there also has to be satisfaction in the providence of God. David says in verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life, God has a plan for them. That's my my reading. In other words, David completely trusts in God's hand of providence in his life and the plan for the desert moments he's experiencing. He states quite simply, there are some who are trying to kill me and those who are trying to kill me will be given over to death. If, they, if I have any concern for my life at all, I know that God's in control of all things, even the death of my enemies. They're food for scavengers on the side of the road, for jackals, he says. I don't have to worry about revenge because I trust in the providential hand of God. I think what we want so badly is to be able to say, I trust in the providence of God, the sovereign hand of God in my life. I trust Him Here's where we go, because I know what he's doing and I know his timing. So I'm going to trust in God's providence. Isn't that what we want? I know what he's doing. So yeah, I'll trust in him. We want so badly to push the the powerful providence of God and our understanding of it together, don't we? We say, yep, I'll trust in his providence whenever I know exactly what he's doing because I I know what he's doing. I'm thankful for his plan. And yes, it's beautiful that he's over all things. But friends, we may not never we may never know what God is up to. We may never know. Right? It's confusing. And here's what I've been seeing over the, these last weeks. I, I absolutely trust in God's providence. And I'm not saying that to hype me, hype me. I'm not saying that to build me up, because here's what's following. I absolutely trust in God's providence, and I absolutely have no idea what he's up to or what he's trying to teach me, and to be completely honest, why he would use my son to show me that. I can trust God to be God, and and I can still be completely confused. 
I can trust in the, the sovereign hand of God over all things and still be completely confused about what he's doing, how he's working it all out. I said this a few months ago. My mom reminded me of it. And one of the Psalms, the coexistence of faith and fear is absolutely possible. And I feel that deeply. I've got faith in a God who loves us, but I'm completely confused and fearful. We're trusting the powerful hand of God, yet we have no idea what he's doing, how it's all going to be worked out, what kind of time frame it, it's going to, to work out. And in fact, I've got a few suggestions for God, right? about how it could get all, all worked out. Got some ways in, in which he could rearrange uh, some of these plans. And we know that he hears your prayers, and we know that he hears our prayers, but we also know that he has a plan, and that plan stands. And we're, we're just resting in that. We don't know what it's going to be. Friend, what are you walking through right now where maybe because you can't quite trust the providence of God, you're, you're finding it difficult to be satisfied in the provision of God and the presence of God? Let me say that again. What is it right now that you're walking through where maybe because you, you, you can't quite trust the providence of God, you're finding it then difficult to be satisfied in the provision of God and the presence of God? Did that make sense? It made sense in my head whenever I wrote it out. You, you, you can't really rest in the provision of God and the presence of God because you don't really trust where he's going. You don't trust him to, to, to be over all things. You're not satisfied in his presence because he's so far off. You're not satisfied in, in, in his provision because you don't see it as provision. And, and the overarching thing of that is you don't trust his providence, that he's over all things and he's got good for you. God has given good gifts. Do they bring us satisfaction because of the good gift or because we know the, the giver of that gift? God is near us. He's especially near us in his son who came to be with us to experience what we've experienced, to understand what we're walking through so that he can sympathize with us in our, in our weaknesses. He's especially near us through the Spirit who, who indwells those who believe, who, who've been left as a helper. Do we experience any of that? Or because we're not satisfied with the, prov the providence of God, we cannot possibly be satisfied with the presence of God or his provision because we don't see it as such. David's response is what we see in, in, in verse 11. I want you to see it. It's what? It's rejoicing. David's response to the providence of God, the, the sovereign hand of God over all these things is rejoicing. He says the king, him, will rejoice in God and so will all of his people. The people will gather around as well and rejoice. Rejoice in what? The very thing he's talking about, the providence of God, the, the sovereign hand of God over all things. And, and remember, where is, hear this, where is David when he's rejoicing? In the desert, in a place of fear, in a place of confusion, in a place probably of hopelessness, in a place of desperation. And he says, but I'll rejoice. In Christ, God is present with us. He provides for us. He is our help and is sovereignly over all things, even in those desert moments in all of that, when we're able to grab onto it, moves us to worship. Got to. It's got to move us to worship. We'll end here. Um, Peter, a disciple of Jesus, writes a letter to a group of suffering Christians. Um, Josh has been helpful to send us 
this passage over and over again and to be praying this over us and, and it, it hit with this as we think about the, the glory and power and might of God that we've seen in the sanctuary and we've beheld that. It, it hits in this way. When we think about what Peter has said, we, Peter says, you, you've been given life with Christ, an inheritance that won't fade away. And then he, he says this. He says, in this you rejoice in that inheritance. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The light and momentary affliction we face is moving us toward the praise, glory, and honor of Christ when we see him. Friends, we have God who's worthy to be worshipped with us provides for us. He's over all things. This morning, we're going to celebrate in that one of the ways that God has shown his providence is by giving his own son. Son gave his life. Body was brutally broken and beaten and, and crucified. His blood shed so that we could have life with God in faith that we could have life with God. We celebrate that weekly. Even, even in the desert, we're able to celebrate what God has done in His Son. He's drawn us near and given us access to Him. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your um, grace on me this morning. Help me fumble through that. Thankful for your word. People in the past who have walked through things where we can now look, at, look at, at their example and say, you've walked through the desert. Your hope and your eyes were fixed on, on God. And you've seen his love as, as better than life. We can look back at, at what David has walked through and find hope there. My, uh, my prayer this morning, God, for my friends here, if they're walking through moments of trial, that you would be their only hope and their only satisfaction, where they've not leaned on you in that way, would you wake them up to that? Where there are some who've been stagnant and not really noticed that they're hungry or thirsty, God, would you cause them to see very clearly that they've gone for a long time without food or water and that they need to go to you? You're near them. Provide for them. Would you do that for all of us? I need that. For those who are walking through joyful moments this morning, who have experienced some some beautiful things, found a lot of joy in in circumstances in life, God, I pray that they would continue to rejoice in those things, but point all, all the attention to you. That that thing would not become the satisfaction of their life, but that thing would push them to the one who is the satisfaction of life, you. Would you work that out as well? That we're thankful for your son and what, what he's accomplished on our behalf so that we could be near you, in faith, be near you. In his broken body and his blood shed, the finished work of the cross, hang the penalty of our sin so that we could be near a perfect and holy Father who loves us. Love is better than this life. 
Help us to believe it, we pray. Amen.